Good morning, everyone. My name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here at Kettlebrook, and it's a joy for me to be up here in Kewaskum with you. Um, Steve, this was not your fault, but that was not the right video. But it was a great video, wasn't it? Okay. So imagine that was the same video, but it talked about humility. Because today we're talking about humility, but Mike's preaching on repentance in West Bend, and therefore the plans were a little messed up. That is not Steve's fault. Sorry. Um, it, Steve, let me know if you get the humility one. We could show it. it. I don't know if you can download it or not, but it, it's, it's uh, the same kids, cute kids, all from all three sites. Um, and, and the Schneider one is, is going to be a preacher. We know that. This, the, the, you know, right? So anyway, the questions that we asked the kids were, what is humility? And what does it look like to be humble? And so I want you to imagine fun responses. Okay, because that's, that's, that's what happened. Uh, anyway, um, we are starting this series called Growing Up Again. Uh, we're going to do this for four weeks, and um, we're going to start off by talking about humility this morning, because when we, we think about growing up, I think we've all, those of us who are adults, we've kind of grown up in a sense, but there are areas of our lives where we find ourselves probably needing yet to continue to grow, or to grow up again, or to be re-brought up. And one of these areas that we're going to be talking about specifically is, is humility. I think when you look at your life, there are sometimes circumstances that cause us to grow up either more quickly or more slowly. I listen to people's stories regularly, and so sometimes I'm hearing stories from folks who maybe when they were children, they uh, needed to take care of their siblings very, at a very young age. And so they kind of were growing up quicker. Um, I've, I've heard stories where... Maybe it was someone had to get a job at a very early age, not because they wanted to, but because they had to. Uh, marriage is a circumstance that causes us to grow up fairly quickly, right? All of a sudden, the position of the toilet seat overnight matters, right? Um, children, children cause us, are the circumstances that cause us to grow up fairly quickly because uh, we go from uh, freedom to slavery, uh, you know, longing for things like Sleep, quiet, a clean car. You know, I, just, I, I long for the day where I once again can have a clean car. Just for one day. It'd be amazing. Anyway, um, I, the things that, that in my life that cause me to grow up are all these kinds of circumstances. But, but I, I don't want to speak for you. But for me, the, 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 most, the thing that most causes me to grow up is not a thing at all. It's a person. It's Jesus. Jesus forces me to look at my heart and my life and consistently causes me to grow up in areas that I'm not yet growing up in. And he's going to continue to do that, I think, until I die. So um, humility. Let's talk about humility. In In our context today, humility is not something that we learn very easily as we grow up because um, very often we believe we're the center of the universe, okay? And as parents, we have the tendency to sometimes make our children into the center of the universe. And we as humans don't necessarily need help doing that. We already think that, that we're the center of the universe. Now, for me personally, oh, you got it? Do you guys want to watch this one? It's just a minute. Let's just watch it. To build other people up, humiliation, embarrassing somebody maybe. Like, if there's, like, something you can't do by yourself, you can just stand up and try to do it. Humble means to be um, honest and near the ground. Like, on the ground, praying to God, being honest, like, with God, like, confessing that you did something. 
we um, made dinner for the family, and then I had to um, serve them by like, um, um, yes, like giving them actually like giving them a menu and stuff. So it was hard to serve them with that, because it took a lot of effort. He's a if if you have one person and you love everyone in the world. Thank you guys. Thank you for for re-showing that. Um, for for me personally, when I was um, I was born 14 years after my next closest sibling. So my my closest sister is 14 years older. So I was kind of an oops. Um, but what happened was um, my sisters have ever since then called me the golden child. Some of you know what that syndrome looks like. So I was the golden child. It's not something I was hoping for or longing for, but it's just the way that it happened. And the reason it happened was because my mom was trying to escape an abusive husband for 18 years. That was my biological father. And she, uh, he also was having an affair with another woman while she was pregnant with me. She almost lost me in delivery. So, like, for all these reasons, when I came into her world, I brought her great joy, purpose, and it was a, I was an outlet for her love. And so I don't blame my mom at all for that. It's just part of the circumstance that made me the center of her universe. And so growing up, we already do that as kids, but, like, I had an extra dose of that. And so humility is something that I know that Jesus has continued to work out in me. But it's not just our growing up. It's not just our parenting that might induce uh, a lack of humility. It's our culture. It's our culture as well. Let me, I want you to just think about the simplest things in our culture that can cause us not to be humble. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do, do, do you know what this is? Uh, Abigail, do you know what this is? i got it shining right in your face. What is this? A CD. Do you know what that stands for? That's right. You don't. It's a, David, do you know what this is? Okay, it's a compact disc. Yes. So this is a compact disc, and this is um, Bon Jovi's best uh, like hits, Crossroads. So uh, this was unearthed in Utah um, in, a, in an archaeological dig, and it's dated to 1994. Okay. And so the reason I bring it up is because th- these CDs, young folks, you may not know much about these because what you used to have to do when an artist would produce music is they'd produce music and you would buy, you'd, you'd go to a store and you would spend about 20 bucks and you would get their CD and you would have to buy all their music. So not only would you get living on a prayer, but you'd get bad medicine, which is like, who wants that one, right? So I got, a, I got another example just because it's kind of fun. Um, this one was this one's by a guy named Dave Gerhart. This was on Earth. This is a 2011. Uh, here you call this Dave's first album. But so when Dave put this out, Dave, all of his songs were on it. Nowadays, we don't have to buy an album. You buy one. You buy whatever song you want, or you don't even have to buy it. You Spotify, right? Like, like. So if you think about even in the subtlest ways. Our culture is saying that the universe revolves around you and it needs to be specifically tailored for you. Okay, now I'm not saying that buying music one song at a time is evil. I'm just saying that if you think about culturally what's going on is that it's hum- humility doesn't really flow out of the idea that you are the center of the universe, does it? So I think if we're going to grow up in humility, we have to look at one who modeled it. And there is nobody who modeled humility better than Jesus Christ himself. 
So we're going to be in the, in the scriptures in Luke chapter 14. If you, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Scott will bring a red one over to you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. would strongly encourage you to, to either get one on your phone, open up to uh, Luke 14, or grab one of these red ones and follow along. We're going to be on page 739 in the Red Bibles, Luke chapter 14. And as we go there, some of the context, Luke is an account of the life of Jesus and we find in chapter 14, where we're going to be digging in here, that, Luke, that Jesus was invited, along with a bunch of other people, to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And if you're not familiar with Pharisees, our Pharisees are a group. They were a group of, of Jewish um, sort of middle-class leaders who were tasked to kind of guard the Hebrew culture and the law. And so they were threatened by Jesus, because when Jesus came on the scene, he said these crazy things. He said things like, you have heard it said, and he was referring to the law, but I say to you. And they were going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so they were threatened, especially as the crowds following Jesus began to grow. These, these, these Pharisees were threatened. And so what they were trying to do is they're trying to always nail him down. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to see if they can get him to lose credibility. And that's the setting we enter into in, in uh, chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to pray before I do that. Gracious Father, we thank you for these words. These words that come right from the mouth of your son, Jesus, to us today. Father, I pray you'd prepare our hearts that you would convict us by your spirit, challenge us, empower us, and equip us by these words. For these are yours. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, chapter 14, verse 1. This is just as the, set the stage here. It says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Okay? So there's a, there's a setting. And we're going to skip verses 2 through 6. I'm going to go to 7 next. But here's, here's what I want you to know. Jesus is being watched. He's under surveillance. And what on the outside may appear to be some kind of a dinner party, it seems like it's actually kind of a setup. And the reason we kind of know that is because if you read the next verse, you'll see that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a sick man with dropsy or swollen limbs shows up. He's just standing right in front of Jesus. Oh, I wonder how that guy got there. Because they're trying to find out, oh, Jesus heals. Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? And so there's a setup. And so Jesus... Knowing this is a setup, he does what he does. He asks questions. Jesus is always asking questions. And so he asks the questions, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Crickets, okay? And then he goes on and he says, if your son falls into a well on the Sabbath, are you going to leave him in there? And that was their response too. So nothing, okay? You know, crickets again. And so they can't, the setup fails. Okay, it's been fruitless. And so they're trying to catch Jesus off guard, put him on the defensive. And Jesus takes an opportunity here to literally, I think and figuratively, turn the tables on them in uh, verse 7 where we pick back up. Because Jesus wasn't the only one being watched. He was also doing some watching himself. And here's what we find in verse 7. Let's read this parable. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast... Do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. 
Now, when you read through Jesus' parables, sometimes you actually walk away from Jesus' parables and you're kind of like scratching your head. And his disciples were at two at times saying, hey, Jesus, can you explain what you meant by that? This is not one of those parables. Jesus could not have been, I think, more clear about what he's saying in this parable. This is not a complicated parable. He's at a meal where people are trying to take the best seats at the table, and he tells a parable about a meal where people try to take the best seats at a table. It's not that complicated. What is interesting is that there's no way that this would not have been awkward. There's no way that when Jesus tells this parable, this would not have been awkward for everybody in the room. But he speaks. And to paraphrase Jesus a little bit, he's like, hey, hypothetically speaking, let's say you got invited to a wedding, a reception. And, 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 and here's what you shouldn't do if, if you get invited to a wedding reception. You should not go and take the, the best place because heaven forbid it would be ever possible that anyone more important than you might show up. Like, if you could possibly fathom that, you're going to be embarrassed because someone's going to come to you, your host is going to come to you and say, hey, move down. But if, if that happens, you're going to be embarrassed. It's going to be awkward for you and everybody else in the room. What you should instead do is take the lowest seat. And when your host sees you sitting there, say, friend, come on up. He might, he might invite you up. And you'll be honored. I'm hoping that you're not perplexed what Jesus is talking about here. This is not a complicated parable at all. That said, I thought we could set it up a little bit. I want to get into this just a little bit. So this is my table. This is Dwayne's base case. Thank you, Dwayne. I want you to, and there's a picture of this next slide. I have it on the slide as well. They don't, scholars don't necessarily know exactly how uh, the table setup would have been in this scenario, but they think it might have been in a U shape. So imagine this is a little bit bigger, and um, it was probably set up so there would have been tables this way, and then one here. And then there was these uh, couches very often, the small, low couches called triclinium, uh, which would have, you would have sat on. And, and, and apparently, and again, we're not sure this is exactly how the setup was in this Pharisee's house, but there's a good chance that the, the um, the protoclesia, this is the best seat in the house, called the protoclesia, was the center of this upper table here. And I don't know what left-handed folks did, but they leaned this way, okay? So I, I, don't, I don't know how that works if you're left-handed. But anyway, so you're here. This is the best seat. Now, I always thought the, the, the second best seat would be this one right here to the right, but it's actually this one. And I, I, some scholars say it's because it's right behind. It's the, it's the closest to the backside of, of the the most honored guest or the host. And then the next seat, most important, would have been here. And then it would have, I think, went to the left table in the same order and then to the right table. Again, just giving you a picture of what this would have looked like as all these folks would have scrambled for the best seat, the protoclesia. And Jesus is making a point of this and, and telling a story as they are doing it. Um, just last night, I uh, was at a wedding. Very timely. Uh, at a wedding uh, reception for a couple that is part of our, our our family down in West Bend. and Just like any other wedding, you go to the reception and what do you look for? What do you have to find? Your name card. There it is, Troy Lather. Okay? And you have to find your name card because it tells you what? Where to sit. So you've got to find your table. And what you do, and you've all probably been a part of this, you've been through a wedding, so you go, you find your, your name card, and what you do is you start to walk into the reception area and you start to realize how either important or not important you are relative to this couple, okay? Um, and so you're going, okay, I see, I see, I see how this goes. So as I've been blessed to sit at the head table many times as, as a part of the wedding party throughout the years. I've been able to sit kind of right up front with the family when I officiate the weddings that sometimes where they put me. Uh, and sometimes you're in that table that's like in a different zip code. 
You know the one that's like just outside, but like the whole room, table 38. You know what I'm talking about? That's the one I always get put at when my kids come. Because, because they know, the hosts, they know. But anyway, so we were doing this last night. Um, Jesus, what's cool about this is that this was written a long time ago, but just last night this imagery was very relevant. It's still relevant to us today. In fact, another image of this was a couple of weeks ago. My sons earned, they had good attendance at school, so they earned free Bucks tickets to a Bucks game. Uh, the gimmick was you had to buy an adult ticket for every, anyway, whatever. So, but we, I took my two boys and a couple of brothers uh, along with, we went to a Bucks game, and we got our tickets, and we went in, and we were like in section 422. So you're like, you know, nosebleed up there. So we get up there for 422, we go to row M, and then there were seats like 10 through 16 or whatever. And we get there and someone's sitting in our seats. And you're kind of like, like, this is not a very good seat. You must have been like in the back row to try to like move up to these seats, right? But it, you kind of go like, okay, hey, these are our seats. And it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal because it's a Bucks game, right? So they can go back to their seats. It's more awkward when you do this, at, if this were to happen at a wedding, right? This would be more awkward. And I was comparing that 422 section last year. I got to go, a friend took me up and, and took me to the bus game and got to sit on the floor. Like, it was so cool. James Harden, like, fell on me, falling out of bounds, like, grabbing a ball. Like, the difference between the place of honor, watching the game from the court versus 422. And you, just setting this setting up, you're going, Jesus is just talking about humility here. Because you've all had this happen to you, right? You've all been to a place where you've gone and someone's sitting in your seat, or you've tried to sit in someone else's seat, haven't you? You have. You're like, no one's sitting down there. So Jesus is challenging us in the area of humility here. And he opens this parable by saying, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, note Jesus was not at a wedding feast, so we ask the question, why does he use the parable and say wedding feast? Now, part of it might have just been like, if you would have said a dinner party, it might have been so awkward. But he says, let's just imagine it's a wedding feast. I think there's a couple reasons why he says that. Let me give you the first one. The first reason why I think Jesus says this is a wedding feast is because if you're invited to a wedding, the assumption is that you are in some sort of relationship with who? The bride and groom, right? Even if you're at table 38. Now, in the context here, this was before name cards, so because apparently you could go and pick whatever seats you wanted as quickly as you could. But, but think about this. If you're going to a wedding feast, who is the wedding supposed to be for? The couple... Yeah, thank you, Steph. Yeah, the bride and the groom. The bride, Scott says. Yeah. It's supposed to be about the couple, you would think. You would think the event is supposed to be about the couple. And yet, very often, it is not about the couple. It's about us. It's about where we're sitting. It's about how close we are. It's about how we look. Pride takes the best day of someone else's life and somehow makes it about us. If you were a friend of the bride and groom, you would sit anywhere that would serve them best if you're truly a friend. Humility means it's not about us. Notice that in this parable, when the first person sits down in the place of honor and the host has to come along and embarrass them, the host says this. He says, give your place to this man. But then notice what happens in verse 10, the inverse situation. He comes and says, um, friend, move up higher. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus leaves friend off the first one. 
but makes it a point to say friend the second time because the friend is the truly the one in the second situation because it's not about them. The, the first folks are so consumed with their own their selves, they put their own host in an awkward position. That's not humility, that's pride. Let me take this a step further. In, in this, the first scenario, if someone distinguished comes, Jesus says the host will come and will say you need to move. But if you, in the second scenario, if you're sitting lower and you have a more literal translation, in the second scenario, the host says, it says the host may come. The host may come and say, friend, come up higher. I don't want to make this bigger than it maybe is meant to be. I think may is an important word in here. Because to someone with true humility, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether your host comes and says move up or not. Because you're truly a friend. It's not about you. And may in here, I think, also helps us get Jesus off the hook from doing this thing where he's giving you some kind of just wisdom. Hey, hey, you know what? Let me teach you guys some wisdom. Let me teach you something. I got this trick that you can do. Okay, here's what you do. When you go to a party, don't sit high. They'll ask you to move down. Sit low, and they'll move you up, and you'll be honored. See what I just did there? Boom. See, that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not giving us a tip of manipulation so that you can be somehow honored. He says the host may come and ask you, but if you don't, it doesn't matter to someone who's humble because it's not about them. Humility is when we think about others more than we think about ourselves. Humility is when we're content with others being honored more than we're concerned about ourselves being honored. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. And let's be honest. This happens to us, right? We do something for somebody else and they don't, they don't acknowledge it. We give someone a gift and they, they don't get We thought they were going to do a backflip and they're just like, oh, thanks. And what happens to us? We get angry about that. We get resentful. Why? Because it was about them. No, it was about us. You know, we post something, social media, and, and not enough people like it. We start to get mad. Why? We do something for our spouse, and again, we, we don't get acknowledged or our kids, and, and then we become resentful. Humility. This is not humility. This is pride. And even though this parable is as straightforward as any parable I can find on Jesus' lips, for some reason he still gives a summary statement at the end. He says, uh, he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Why does Jesus feel like he's got to put a bow on this super straightforward parable? I don't know. But I think it might be because it's, it's so hard for us to get this idea of humility through our thick skulls. That he's like, okay, in case you didn't get it from the context, in case you didn't get it from the overly awkward parable I just told, I'm going to make a summary statement to say the same thing again. That he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. So I think we have to ask ourselves this question. In what ways do we try to exalt ourselves? In what ways do we try to exalt ourselves? Now, the easy low-hanging fruit here is that in social media we can go post stuff and, 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 and some of you don't do that at all. I understand it's a generational thing. and That's an easy low-hanging fruit. But let me give you another one. One of the ways that we sometimes exalt ourselves is the opposite of posting stuff. It's withdrawing. It's disengaging from the people or from, world, from the world altogether. Why? Well, because we're better than those people. It's another way to exalt ourselves. Sometimes we exalt ourselves by trying to make sure that we take credit. Even if it's something we have done, we've got to make sure that we're acknowledged. We have to make sure that we're recognized. Sometimes the way that we exalt ourselves is by talking more than listening. 
Why? Why do we do that? Well, because what we have to say is more important than whoever that other person is. Our time is more important than their time. But Jesus desires for us to grow up in this area of humility. And he says, this is what it looks like. With pure motives, you have to choose the lowest place. You have to defer to the other. You have to honor others instead of ourselves. Now, author Tim Challies, he has a list of 10 marks of humility. And I'm not going to go through all 10, but I wanted to, I waded through and I picked five that I wanted to focus on just for a minute here to have you take a look at these. Very practical to some extent. Things for, for us to wrestle through. So Steve, what's the, let's see the first one. A humble person accepts rebuke for sin or wrongdoing. So a humble person accepts rebuke, meaning that when someone comes to you and confronts you about something, you don't immediately go into defense mode. You're willing to accept that and say, what can I own in that? Because um, I have to own some things myself that I'm not, I'm not always better than. A humble person accepts rebuke for sin or wrongdoing. Next one says this, a humble person complains about their heart, not their circumstances. See, it's pride in us that, that kind of looks and says, it's everything else about the world that is wrong in my life. It has nothing to do with me and my own heart. So a humble person will actually reflect and complain about what's going on in their own hearts and not their circumstances. Third one, a humble person will serve the lowest person and the lowest tasks. Now, this isn't Charlie saying that some people are higher and lower than others, but just the way that we honestly see things is say, well, who is that person that we're not willing to serve? What is that task that we are above somehow? A humble person is willing to serve the lowest person in the lowest tasks. Next one. A humble person is content to be eclipsed by others. To be eclipsed by others, to allow others to receive credit, glory, affirmation, if you would. Then the last one. A humble person magnifies Christ. A humble person magnifies Christ. Now, hit the next slide, Steve. We'll put them all white again. Uh, let's do an honest assessment. How, how are we doing with these? If we're to be really honest, where do we fall with each of these? And let me say this. If you think you nailed it, you failed it. <laughs> Get it? So like if you, if, when it comes to humility, if you look and say, yeah, I'm nailing that, then you're, you're obviously not. Okay? But how are we doing in this? And I also want to make another point here is that these first four points could be taught anywhere, minus the word sin in the first line. You take sin out. You could take those first four points and teach them here at the public school. You could teach them anywhere. You could put them on the Internet. People wouldn't have a problem with them. Okay? But it's this fifth point that sets this list aside to some extent. And I think actually I would say that the first four aren't possible without five. The first four aren't possible without five. Then I think that number five, this point number five, is actually the point that Jesus is trying to make in this parable I want to show you how. I said earlier there's a couple reasons why Jesus uses a wedding feast. The second reason why I think Jesus speaks of a wedding feast here is because he's thinking of his own. He's imagining his own. Because Jesus' entire life, his death, his resurrection was to point to a kingdom in that kingdom, in Revelation, we find there's a picture of that kingdom. It's pictured as a wedding feast. It's a wedding feast. And Jesus came that we might be invited to the wedding feast. Six times in five verses, you will find the word invited in this text. Someone called invited. We do not deserve an invitation to this feast. We do not, we do not earn an invitation to this table that Jesus is speaking of. We're scrambling for seats our whole lives. 
trying to exalt ourselves instead of actually caring about the one who is really holding the feast. The Father knew that, and so he sent his son Jesus to make the invitation possible again so we could actually, those of us who don't deserve the table, the feast, could come and have a place. Think about this. When Jesus says someone more distinguished than you may have been invited to the wedding feast, there is no way he is not referring to himself. There's no way. I can imagine all these guys running, running around trying to grab these seats at this, at this house, this Pharisee. They have no idea that the most distinguished guest they could ever have is standing in the room. He is right there as they're trying to make much of themselves. And when Jesus says, you take the last place, it's because he knows that's what his entire life was. The most distinguished guest this world could ever know takes the lowest place, takes on flesh, takes the lowest position. And the Father exalts him to the highest place that he would receive honor in the sight of all as he makes his way to his rightful place at the table. Now, I don't want to get too nerdy on you here, but I want to show you um, a chart. Okay, it's this next slide. Jesus says then, he says, when you move from a low place to a high place, he says, then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. Okay, now I have this nerdy chart. Okay, sorry. Um, this is 77 times in the New Testament the word honor is used, and the large, vast majority of the times that, that they're trying to translate from Greek into the word honor is this word tomeo, tomeo, uh, or tomeo, tomeo, okay? So this is a word that means honor most of the time. That's not what you're going to use. There's another word, though, here that Jesus uses in this text, and I pulled it out, and it's called doxa. It's only used twice in the entire New Testament to refer, it was translated as honored twice, only once in the Gospels, and it's right here. Jesus is using the word doxa. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus does that, because doxa primarily means a different word, and it means glory. It means worship. This is very, I, I mean, I'm speculating, but I, I'm very confident this is very intentional. Because when Jesus moves from that place, do you think that Jesus is trying to t- tell a parable to, to men to say, hey, when you sit down here and you move up, you're going you're gonna to be glorified? He's not saying that. Because he's not talking about them. Jesus is telling a parable because there's only one worthy of glory and worship, and he's in the room. He has his own glory in mind. That though he took the lowest place, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross, the world would one day see him for who he really is. And the only response is glory and worship. When it comes to this crazy idea of of God somehow taking on flesh in the Son, Jesus Christ. Jeff Vanderstelt, um, he, he, he sets up this scene where he says, I want you to imagine, he says, imagine a conversation between the angels and Jesus, and the angels ask Jesus, why would you humble yourself like that? And Jesus responds, because I must, because they won't. They won't humble themselves, so someone must. So I will go and humble myself and be for them what they can't be. I will be the humble servant they were called to be underneath me, but instead I will put myself underneath them so ultimately they can become what we were, they were always intended to be, which is servants for God's glory. 
want to leave you with some questions just to think about. What, because this is what Jesus does in these parables. He leaves things open. And so I want to be able to have us reflect on this. What relationship do you find it really humble to be, to, to be humble in? Is it, is it marriage? Maybe it's as a parent. Maybe it's as an employee or an employer. Or what is a team member? What relationships do you find yourself struggling to be humble in and why is that? Secondly, what role do you find it hard to be humble in in your life? Maybe roles that you have that some are easier and some are harder. Thirdly, how could reflecting regularly on Christ's humility impact your own humility? What would it look like to reflect regularly on the humility of Jesus Christ and how might that influence our own humility? And lastly, how can we intentionally exalt Jesus instead of ourselves? I encourage you, we have a great opportunity after this gathering to go to the cafeteria and connect as a family. And very practically speaking, I just encourage you to grab some coffee or whatever and sit down and make it a point today to talk about Jesus. Before you talk about anything else, say, hey, before I start, I want to exalt Jesus in our midst and here's how. And if you're, if you're struggling to find out how to do that, it's because perhaps we have to challenge ourselves today is because we're too busy exalting ourselves and not humbling ourselves. These are the things I think Jesus is calling us to and challenging us in. For everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your son and for this parable specifically that speaks to us 2,000 years later, as if we were in the room. It's so relevant. Lord, so, so relevant to us. This day, we will have to choose humility over pride a hundred times before we've hit the, hit the pillow tonight. And Father, forgive us. That even right now, we're, we're, we're sometimes even convincing in our own, convinced ourselves that we don't need to be more humble. That's, that's our own pride itself. Father, convict us by your Spirit and empower us by your Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit would change out pride for humility. Help us to live in light of that. And as we do, Father, may we exalt you and your Son by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.